Hello guys and welcome to Outside the Studio. Um, we're definitely not ripping off of In the Studio. Uh, I'm Larry and I'm here with Andres. Hello. And we're going to be talking about uh, Fate Stay Night, Heaven Seal Part 2, Lost Butterfly. Yeah, so uh, this movie, we saw it uh, a while ago and there was like a one-time premiere and uh, that usually happens for like certain anime movies, specifically Fate. And uh, Fate has become sort of like a cult classic in the uh, anime community, mostly because of uh, either like the gender swapped historical figures or of just like how elaborate and how many parts and adaptations there are. But um, essentially, most Fate series go under like certain formula where it's like there are all these uh, mages. Uh, called masters who summon historical figures or like fictional heroes uh, called servants and they basically fight each other for something called the Holy Grail and the Holy Grail can grant wishes to one person and it's pretty much like they can wish for whatever they want so if they want to literally become God they can do that so okay. that's cool uh, not, not gonna lie that was the first time I've ever heard that yeah so I'm learning things too yeah um, so, Andres, could you give a brief plot summary of the movie without like going too deep into spoilers? Uh, sure. So, uh, Heaven's Feel is one of the roots of the original Fate Stay Night, and the other roots include Unlimited Blade Works and just like Fate Stay Night, period, that's it. Uh, and this root focuses a lot on a character called Sakura Mato, and uh, essentially, um, each family in the Fate universe can have one mage to become a master for that Holy Grail War. And Sakura is the Mato family's mage. And uh, what happens is um, this was gone over in uh, another series called Fate Zero, which is the sort of prequel to uh, Fate Stay Night. But uh, Sakura was adopted into the Mato family from a young age, and she was basically uh, trained to become a mage. And her training wasn't necessarily uh, orthodox. It was it was mostly torture as opposed to training. And um, she's like 17, 18 in the movie, and she's fighting in the Holy Grail War. And um, she's pretty much the main character of Heaven's Feel, but the main character overall is this kid named uh, Shiro Emiya, and he's pretty much your basic anime protagonist. He's like, wow, I'm gonna save everyone. I'm gonna be a good guy. But the thing with uh, Heaven's Feel is that Emiya has to make a lot of tough choices, whether he wants to save everyone or save uh, the person he likes, which is Sakura in this route. And uh, it really explores a lot about the tough choices that he must make and how far he's willing to go for the person that he likes. All right, nice. So. Um... What should we talk about in specific? Um, I just want to talk about why I like the movie a lot. And you could talk about what you liked, what you didn't like about right. it. But um, <clears throat> I'm a huge Fate fan, so it's going to be kind of biased. Oh yeah, let's preface this off by saying that uh, Andres is a huge Fate fan. I'm like kind of like a normie Fate fan. I uh, Heaven's Field is the only route that I've watched. Um, I play Fate Grand Order and that's about it. Mm -hmm. So I'm not like too knowledgeable in uh, actual fate knowledge. So there's that. Yeah. So um, Heaven's Feel was great. Uh, best two hours of film I've seen in a long time. Um, 
after playing like I played the visual novel like a while back before seeing this and it really uh, lived up to my expectations and I just really liked the adaptation of a lot of the fight scenes a lot of the dramatic moments and a lot of the um, overall emotion that goes with it because it was really nice hearing the voice actor say stuff instead of just like reading text and um, the characters are really fleshed out in the film the film is a lot shorter than the visual novel like the film it's three parts and like so that's like a total of six hours and the visual novel is longer than that much longer uh, but I feel like they did their best to incorporate like the very important scenes with the characters to sort of uh, tell the viewers who they are and what their ambitions and like secrets and stuff are. Okay, so uh, one thing that I really liked about the movie was just the emotional impact that they made everyone feel. Like I watched Heaven's Feel Part 1, but like that was kind of late at night and I was tired, so I was kind of tuned out for most of the movie. Um, and even then, as someone who had no connection to any of the characters emotionally, I felt attached to, uh, to Emiya and, uh, and Sakura and like their whole dynamic. And so it felt really, like, I don't know how to say this, but like empowering in a way. Like mm -hmm. for someone with no connection to feel like completely attached emotionally and then like almost be drawn to tears towards the end. So right. just the emotion I felt was really good. And that was something I've never seen like to that impact with a movie. Yeah, uh, I, I just really liked the scenes with Shiro and Sakura and just like their own personal inner demons, I guess. And that, that can be taken in multiple ways for Sakura because her downfall is pretty much the focus of the second film. Uh, should I go into spoiler territories or? Um, I feel like we shouldn't. We shouldn't, right? But yeah. But um, I guess Sakura has a lot of emotional baggage, and she comes from a very abusive family, and uh, she's abused by a lot of the people: her adoptive father, her adopter, adopted, uh, adoptive brother and uh just pretty much everyone around her they treat her like trash and she just tries her best to please everyone to make sure everyone's happy and um the sheer contrast with emia who's like very empowered and driven to do things while sakura is just like standing back and letting things happen um it's it's interesting to see these characters clash but also like harmonize so well together and um i believe like a lot of the emotional impact came from just the writing in general because there were a lot of moments where um, there was just some, I guess it could be classified as like cheesy drama tropes. Uh, like the movie has some tropes, but what it does best is like making it unique to a point where like you can't really tell that it's that one trope. Like there, there's the trope of like someone going into insanity but it's done in such a way that it doesn't feel generic or it doesn't feel forced at all. Like everything in the movie felt like it had a purpose and um, I feel like they just transferred the story very well. But yeah, uh, just to add on to that, um, I felt that the dialogue in general was like very strong and uh, that's what helped lead to the emotional impact I felt. Um, I watched three movies that weekend. Um, the first one was this movie, the second one was Elite Battle Angel, and then the third one was The End of Evangelion. Um, 
and Fate by far was the strongest one in terms of just dialogue in general, which was kind of strange to see because like at least for Alita, it was in English and then uh, they didn't have to go through the trouble of like subtitling and like translating everything to make sure it fit. And Fate just blew that completely out of the water. So I felt that the way that they were able to translate everything was like very good. I don't know if it was like, or how accurate it was to the original uh, dialogue, but they, they did it in a way that like, even though it was just me reading stuff, I felt that it was like strong and like very fleshed out throughout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I totally agree with that. Uh, but like, there are some parts which I wish they elaborated a bit more on. So uh, one of the side characters of uh, Fate Stay Night, which has yet to receive her own root, is uh, this person named Ilya von Eidensburn. I think that's her name. Uh, and what happens is, um, okay, so I'm just gonna go back into the backstory. So uh, Ilya's father, his name is Kirtu Emiya, and her uh, mother was uh, Ilya's Vio, I think? Yeah, that's her mother's name. And what happens in Fate Zero, um, some things happen to Kirtu and Ilya's Vio, and they promise they'll come home to her in like maybe two weeks and Kiritu will like continue being the fa- the good father that he's always been but he never comes home and Ilya has some sort of deep-rooted resentment for him uh, and so at the end of Fate Zero what happens is uh, Kiritu is in the middle of a burning city after the aftermath of the Holy Grail War in that part and she sees some orphaned kids and one of those kids is uh, Shira Amiya, and another one is uh, Taiga. I don't remember her full name, but uh, Taiga is just like Shira's caretaker, and she's not really significant that much in this uh, part. I have heard uh, Puzzle of Dragons. I'll look her up. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, so Ilya is like, she's, she wants a strong male figure in her life, I guess, because she never really received that after she was promised uh, that from her father before he left for the Holy Grail War. And um, she has some interactions with Shiro in Heaven's Feel Part 2. And the first interaction, uh, Shiro asks about Kiritsugu, and I think it's just like perchance that he mentions Kiritsugu, because like otherwise, I, I don't I don't think he did it by purpose. He was just like asking questions. Oh yeah. And um Ilya, like, she sort of just begins to sulk and she just I guess stops the interaction. She just runs away because she doesn't want to think about Kiritsugu. But um in this route they bond together really well. And uh Ilya I guess this is like Heaven's Feel part three kind of spoilers, but Ilya gets the the male figure that she's always wanted in, in her life and uh because she considers uh, Emiya to be her big brother since they had the same dad, I guess. <laughs> but um, it's a very sweet, uh, wholesome interaction. And they didn't go too much in depth of it in the movie. And I really wish they did because uh, I just like the dynamics between the two. And it's like family bonding thing. It's, it's cute. <laughs> okay, um, I agree with that like from a different perspective. I feel that the movie as a whole is like very dark and very yeah. uh, serious. So having like a couple interactions where 
it was just lighthearted, wholesome, and then like just kind of playful. That would have contrasted pretty well with the rest of the movie, and it would have like helped pace it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think that the pacing was bad by any means. It was like one of the best paced movies I've ever seen. But like I feel that having a couple scenes, aside from the one that they had like towards the beginning of the movie, could have helped to just kind of flesh it out a bit more. Yeah. Uh... Part two was brutal. One of the reasons why I like this movie is because you kind of get to see how messed up Sakura is. And Sakura is my favorite fate character because of how, (laughs) this is gonna sound so weird, but she's written very tragically and it's not just like, oh, she lost her family, she, someone died in her life, blah, blah, blah. That's not what's tragic about her. What's tragic about her is how she's hopelessly wanting everyone to be happy. Meanwhile, she can't find I guess in her happiness and she can't be what she wants to be right and um so from a very young age she was taken into the Mato family and she was actually uh Rin's biological sister and uh that's like Rin is another character uh Rin Tosaka she's she's the uh main interest in uh Unlimited Blade Works I if I remember correctly for Shiro and what happens is um, she gets taken away from her family at a young age because uh, both the Tosaka and Mato family had an agreement uh, that if the Mato couldn't produce an age, they'd uh, adopt one from the Tosaka family. And um, there's a lot of like sister relationship stuff that the movie goes into, and I kind of like that. Uh, but from there on, Sakura's like, literally tortured she's thrown into like a pit of worms that are supposed to help her like control her magical energy and it's like it's really weird because like the methods that the so the tosaka family has like arguably much better methods of training mages as opposed to the mato family which just like resorts to torture so there's that there's like the childhood trauma and then her uh adoptive brother shinji uh so Shinji is jealous of Sakura for the fact that she is the family's mage because he is uh, incapable of using magic. And um, he, Shinji, everyone hates Shinji. I'm just gonna preface this next statement by saying that everyone hates this character. But what he does, he abuses Sakura, he just calls her trash, he even rapes her uh, for j- just to get the magical energy to become the mage. Of the family and he basically resorts to all these horrible things in order for his personal gain and Sakura has to suffer through that and just tell herself that it's going to be all right and that it's going to like subdue one day but it never really does and she's basically stuck in a constant cycle of misery and pain and uh, what happens is um, Sakura as a character there's a point in the movie where um, Emiya sees that Sakura is being abused and he sees like some bruises on her face, I think. And he's like, okay, why don't you stay with me for a bit? And uh, so he stays at his house, helps him with like chores around the house and stuff. And then he gives her a uh, house key. And uh, there's one line in the movie which really like stuck with me. And she says, this is the, uh, this is, it's like this is the second thing that I've received from someone that means so much to me, mm-hmm. uh, and 
what's interesting is the first one was uh, her her famous bow, I guess. So like Sakura has uh, like a ribbon tied on one side of her head for her hair, and like that's pretty much crucial to her design. And it it's like yeah, it's pretty famous, I guess. Yeah. And that was given to her by her sister Rin before she uh, was adopted into the other family. So uh, seeing that uh, Shira's gift was the second most important, or the second important thing that she received from someone that meant a lot to her, it was it was pretty impactful to see that she's like she experienced some sort of joy and happiness and the suffering life that she lived. And um. But the thing is, in Heaven's Feel Part 2, I think uh, it starts off with uh, Shiro. Okay, so I need to do a bit backstory on this too. But uh, so Shiro summoned uh, this servant uh, named Saber, who is uh, King Arthur, but it's a female for some reason. Uh, the heroic spirit summoning thing is kind of weird, so just bear with it, I guess. But um, Saber is a very strong servant, and um, she's basically capable of fighting almost anything, almost anyone. But close to the end of the first film, there's this weird shadow thing that overtakes Saber, and it turns her into something that uh, fans dub Saber Alter. And it's basically like the same as Saber, but she has like a black dress, black mask, and uh, uses like black particle energy, <laughs> I guess. Saber becomes a goth. Yeah, Saber becomes a goth, apparently. I yeah and um so Shira is left without a servant and in Heaven's Field Part 2 no one knows what the shadow is and everyone thinks that it's associated with the Mato family head who is the main antagonist in the film in part one uh so part two is all about them trying to find the mystery behind the shadow but um there's a fight at the beginning of part two where um Shinji has Sakura up to, uh, he's holding Sakura with a knife up to her neck. And, uh, and he's like, uh, he has a servant for some reason, even though he's not the mage. And it turns out that he forced uh, Sakura to give, uh, to give her servant to him in order to participate in the war so he can get a wish and do what he wants with it. And uh, Shinji's like, okay, I'll let go of Sakura if uh, if you uh, kill my servant. And servants are like, they're human, but they have extraordinary strength. They have weapons. They have all these abilities. So magic. Shiro, yeah, magic too. So Shiro cannot stand up to the servant Ryder, who uh, whose true name is Medusa. So uh, she can uh, pretty much petrify someone with just a glare. And um, what happens is, after that fight, Sakura has like an emotional burst, and uh, all these like weird shadow things start popping out of nowhere, and uh, they're like hurting everyone, and like the weather gets like horrible, the sky turns gray, everything gets pretty bad, and um, this is like the first appearance of the shadow outside of like Saber Altar and Saber being overtaken, and um, this sort of plants a seed in Shira's mind that it's like, oh, maybe this shadow thing is coming from the person that I like. And uh, that's something that troubles him throughout the film. And um, part of why Shiro is so great in this film 
is because it really just goes between his clashing ideals of wanting to become a quote-unquote hero of justice and saving everyone, but he also knows that the person he loves is the reason why everyone's suffering. So he needs to find a medium between the two, and um, this is seen in like many scenes. There's one scene in particular that stuck out where um, it's close to the end, where Shiro's realizing that Sakura is the problem, and if she, if he kills Sakura, uh, then everything will be fine. Oh, just another note, like uh, Rin Tosaka, she is also against Sakura, even though they're biological sisters, and she wants to kill Sakura because of the fact that Sakura is causing all this damage and all this like pretty much everyone dying or a lot of people dying. Anyways, there comes a point at the end where Shiro has a knife and he's like on top of Sakura sleeping and uh, he basically gets the, he has the opportunity to stab her and end it once and for all and end the shadows, I guess, reign. But he pretty much just puts, he sticks the knife right above her and he just sort of hesitates because this is a tough, uh, tough choice for him. And uh, it's, it's not easy and he, it, it was just hard to watch. Doesn't he have some flashbacks? To he like, does have yeah. some flashbacks and it's, it's totally, I don't want to say relatable, but the, emo the raw emotion is there. Mm -hmm. You can tell that he's suffering just by having to make this decision. Oh yeah. And the most haunting part about that scene is right after, after he leaves the room, it cuts to like a shot of Sakura with her eyes wide open in the same position in bed uh, when he had the knife on top of her. So she saw everything. She saw that Shiro was about to stab him and she didn't say anything. She just stood there because she knew, she trusted Shiro that he'd make the right decision. And um, I just wanna like go a bit onto like Sakura's downfall. So one of the major points that marks her downfall is there's a fight where um, Shiro gets hurt very badly, so they need to like give him someone else's arm, and like like a full-on arm, like his arm gets chopped off. So um, Rin and Ilya are uh, are at his house, and they're just like healing him back, making sure he's fine, because Sakura doesn't know how to like control her magic energy, so she can't really help out with this. And Rin is talking to Shiro, and uh, she remembers this one time she was at school and she saw this guy trying to do the uh, high jump and he always kept falling and hitting the bar and she was just like laughing at how funny that was and how much of an idiot that guy was and that guy was Shiro but uh, Sakura's outside and she's hearing all this and she also saw Shiro on that day and that's a memory that she cherished a lot because of, of how much Shiro means to her and she pretty much just breaks down and she's crying and just like actually just going insane and um the shadow begins to manifest even more and uh the shadow is like it's a very ominous figure it's it's not like a ghost but it looks like it's the shape of sakura but not really it, it, it's weird you have to see you have to look up a picture of it if you want to know what it looks like because i can't describe it well but um shira starts seeing this thing appearing everywhere uh when when she was with sakura her her shadow like caused by the light not like the shadow figure that we're talking about 
her shadow starts like making it starts looking weird it starts like or it starts flickering right? it starts yeah. flickering it looks like it's glitching out or something and there are multiple events in the movie that lead up to like the emotional climax where she just like completely loses it and th there's like an amazingly the scene is so amazing so uh what happens is it's it shows like the shadow terrorize the city but it doesn't go around like killing individual people what i can compare it to is like um there's a scene in spider-verse where they're activating like the 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 portal thing and then the whole city goes into a blackout and it, the blackout starts from the middle then it just spreads right. but then the lights turn on back again after a bit so it was kind of like that but it shows what's happening inside all the buildings and uh and like people just vanish in like the blink of an eye and like office spaces look completely destroyed everything is just it's catastrophic but like no one's freaking out because there's no one there and one of the most impactful parts of that scene was there was like a pet shop with all these fish in these tanks and like the the composition of that scene alone was amazing because like uh there were like lots of pretty colors and uh it was i think it was in the first film where sakura was in the pet shop and she was looking at the fish and she was like noting how beautiful they were oh yeah and um you see the fish like after the shadow has rampaged through the entire shop, the lights flicker off and then they turn back on again and then all the fish are dead. Like they're all rising to the top of the tank and that's like, that was, that was such like a great scene. And then after that, it, it's sort of like, it cuts to the point where uh, Sakura is just overtaken by the shadow where she acts without even knowing what she's doing. And um, this scene, uh, in this scene, it starts off with her in like a dream. And she's in like a princess dress and she's like, it, it's basically like your typical princess kingdom thing. It reminded me a lot of Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, Alice in Wonderland. With them going to like the Disneyland castle. Yeah, yeah, So she, she's in this like land with all these uh, like cute little creatures. There's something I'd like to note about this scene. Like one of those creatures was like a worm. Like a lot of those creatures were worms and like worms are like a thing with sakura because of like how she was tortured when she was little so yeah. that was like it made it even more messed up and it was just like oh, it was weird but anyways she's in the she goes to the castle and in the castle she sees all these paintings and the paintings are so morbid and like distorted and it's just so creepy but she's like she's in a dress and she's like all pretty and whatever and then these little guys uh pop out of nowhere and they're like cute little monsters whatever and then she starts like flicking them and like slapping them and they turn into candy and then she eats the candy but when she eats the candy uh it cuts to a scene of like her and like an out in an alleyway covered in blood literally eating someone's finger and that that's pretty much the the work of the shadow taking over her and in that alleyway uh she confronts gilgamesh who is a a fan favorite servant and gilgamesh is very strong uh, and she basically has the ability to summon weapons out of like a portal, like infinite number of weapons. He has like a collection of like every weapon created. He's a cool guy. But um, even Gilgamesh can't stop the shadow. And uh, it's, it's just truly an impactful moment to see that she's been taken over and she's not, uh, she's not in control of herself anymore. Her emotions and uh, the shadow are. And um, just seeing that is just really, impactful and i thought that 
that full scene was just composed so well. I want to watch it over and over again because of how much, uh, I guess, attention to detail and how much it made me feel as opposed to a lot of the other scenes that showed her downfall. And now a brief word from our sponsors. If you liked this, be sure to check out In the Studio with Jared and Theo, and consider joining KPLY. Well, I mean, you said that that scene that was in the movie wasn't in the visual novel. Right. It just showed, like, what was actually happening in the visual novel. Right. So, like, what's the difference between that and your opinion? Like, how, so, how much more impact does that add? So, seeing what Sakura saw was honestly a lot more entertaining and a lot more interesting because uh it was like it was like a dream for her it was like it seemed like utopia like a candy kingdom like with all these cute little animals and whatever but like in reality what's going on is like she's massacring people she's literally just eating them and uh she kills the strongest ser one of the strongest servants in fate and that's just like that's the icing on the cake, I guess. That's what makes the movie so spectacular, just seeing all of that. Mm. Well, I mean, you talked right now about like how the composition was good in some of the scenes. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that the cinematography, like in general, was pretty strong. Right. Um, especially in the battle scenes. So like, what do you think about the right. battle scenes? All right, so there is only, there's like a few battle scenes in this movie, but the major one was Saber Altar versus Berserker. And um, so Berserker is, I think, the her heroic spirit of uh, Heracles. And uh, he, he's known for being able to survive, like, a lot. So this guy has an ability where he can die, like, I don't remember how many times specifically, but, like, in the movie he died, like, at least four times and yeah. came back to life. So he's a fighter. And uh, Saber Alter was just, like, basically a power that's unknown no one knows what she is no one knows what she's capable of and just seeing them just like fight to the death was just like so mind-blowing because of how spectacular it was animated and just like i guess berserker's perseverance like pulling through because berserker is like one of the most feared servants because the berserker class is known for um they're they're very good at fighting very strong with brute force but they're not really good at tactically fighting so let's say in a fight versus like uh, a saber class versus a berserker class a saber class would have a more tactful approach like parrying attacks and dodging more meanwhile berserker would just go like all out so um and berserker is uh Ilya's servant and um is really interesting to see how Ilya reacted during that fight and she was pretty much torn apart by it because Berserker died and that was pretty much her only way of winning the war. And um, just like the amount of distress that came from that was like, it was kind of tough. And um, I'm gonna have to introduce Assassin. All right, so the head of the Mato family, his name is Zoken, and Zoken's servant is Assassin, true Assassin. And his name is, I think, Hassan of the Cursed Arm. Yeah, so he's got this weird arm that can rip people's hearts out of their bodies. That's really weird. Um, but True Assassin is basically trying to uh, pick off masters one at a time. And um, 
hold on. I, I thought of another fate, sorry. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, Assassin is just trying to pick off Masters one at a time. And Ilya is the target for this one since Berserker is busy fighting Saber Altar. And while the fight is going on, there's another fight going on between Archer, who is um, Rin's servant, and uh, Assassin, who is Zoken's servant. And Zoken is just at his place, just chilling. So Assassin's kind of doing the dirty work for him. And um, it's really uh, nice seeing like uh, the fight between Archer and Assassin because they're both kind of sneaky and they're they're both trying to uh, pick their targets off from a range. So seeing both of them like try to outsmart each other was like really cool. But it ends off with just Assassin running away because he's kind of a wuss. Um, but after that, uh, Archer has to fight the uh, the shadow because the shadow just kind of like explodes out of nowhere, uh, out of Saber Altar. And uh, she just tries his best to protect everyone and make sure everyone can get away. So the fight scenes were there, uh, they were meaningful, and uh, I just really liked how they were composed. The music during them was absolutely great, and uh, they meant a lot to the film. Now, touching off the music, um, obviously it was strong throughout the movie, right. um, but like, aside from the ending song, like, what part did uh, you feel that music added the most to? So I thought it added the most to the end, and the end, not the ending theme, but close to the end. So close to the end was when Shiro starts to come to terms with like, look, Sakura's the shadow, and if I, if I want to save everyone, I have to kill her. But if I want to save Sakura, the person I love, I'll have to sacrifice everyone else in this world. And um, he confronts, uh, Zoken confronts him about this, and uh, throughout the whole movie, no one knows if Zoken is working with the shadow or not. And he reveals that he has no idea what that is. And he, he's just like, I guess, playing along with it and doing what, like appeasing it in order not to become enemies with it. And during this part, there's a, um, I think like a violin solo version of the, uh, the melody to the ending theme. And it's, it was just such a great leitmotif to put into there. And I feel that, uh, at, following that with the ending theme just like completely topped it off and made it phenomenal okay so uh shiro main character um what did he do different like compared to the visual novel because like obviously there is some sort of departure from visual novel mm -hmm. um so how faithful did they stay to that and like what did you feel that they added to shiro or like detracted from Shiro. So I feel that the visual novel, uh, they're pretty much synonymous in terms of like how Shiro is portrayed, but Heaven's Feel is known for being the darkest root of the three, or however many there are right now, because of how hopeless and like uh, how low of a point he gets to, uh, because he's just tasked with such a horrible decision that he must make, uh, and he's pretty much going against his ideals if he kills Sakura but he's also going against his ideals if he lets Sakura survive. So finding the perfect medium uh, is very tough for him and you pretty much see him at his lowest point. And uh, I felt that was something that they did very strongly in the film. Mm. Well, um, touching off the visual novel, like what, or, I mean, we talked about Shiro. Right. Um, we talked about the Ilya scenes. Like, was there anything else that they did different? Oh, uh, we also talked about the soccer dream. Right. Was there anything else that they did like extremely different from the visual novel? Extremely like, different. Was it pretty much uh, faithful to the visual novel from there? They stayed very faithful. There were just a few scenes that I wish they touched up on. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Sakura Shiro relationship, no, 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 Sakura Shiro relationship, yeah, that was fine. But the uh, Shiro Ilya relationship, that wasn't really touched up upon. And that's making some fans like speculate that there's going to be like uh, an anime only Ilya Shiro route. And uh, I'm kind of excited for that because like I really like Ilya as a character and I feel that she could bring a lot if she were the main uh, heroine in the story. Oh, I was going to suggest they do something in the anime, or not in the anime, in the third movie, but... Yeah, yeah. no, no, it's all about Sakura, that's okay, how it's yeah. feel. Um, is there anything else that we, like, kind of missed that's important? The um, ending scene? Okay, yeah, you can talk about the ending theme all you want. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, go ahead. So, uh, the ending theme is titled I Beg You, and it's by uh, the artist Aimer, I think? Yeah, A-I-M-E-R. And she's a great vocalist. She did the ending theme for part one, but part two's really stuck with me. First of all, because they started introducing the leitmotif of the uh, of the sort of main melody of the uh, ending theme close to the end of the movie. So that really wrapped it up, but I kind of spoiled myself with the ending theme and I listened to it like a long time before I watched the film. And the, the theme just incorporates lyrics, uh, emotion, and just like the overall instrumental is just perfect. And um, the singer obviously tried really hard to sort of encompass what Heaven's Feel is and what Heaven's Feel means for the Fate series in general. And uh, it just like all came together to like perfectly represent Sakura and what she's feeling throughout the movie. Um, and they encompass this in the instrumental too. And it just amazes me how they made the, the ending theme so haunting yet bittersweet. And I feel like it's a perfect way to top off this, like, the, the tragic part of Heaven's Feel. Okay, so uh, how would you compare this movie to the first movie and, like, anything else, like, in the Fate universe? Mm -hmm. How do you feel that, like, uh, part two stands? So, part two, I liked it a lot more than part one. Part one was kind of, it's kind of weird in the sense that um, they skip over a lot of things because they expect that you know about Fate. Because, uh, like, there's some plot points. There's, like, uh, so, like, there's a character named Caster, and her true name is Media, and she basically just dies without any, like, exposition in right. part one. Uh, same with an assassin named Kojiro, I think. Yeah. So, like, there are two assassins in this girl war, and one of them dies. Uh, so, that could have used a bit more context. And they also skipped over the whole thing about, like, uh, Shiro summoning Saber and stuff which was gone over in the unlimited blade works so it kind of assumed that you knew about fate but um part two went right into the action and right into like the drama of heaven's feel and i feel that it was just much superior in terms of storytelling and uh sort of just building up characters and showing us how they fall or how they adapt to challenges right um for other related to other fate mediums I feel that this is a very, very strong movie. Uh, a lot better than some of the other Fate stories, uh, specifically like the first, uh, like the original Fate, which was kind of eh. But um, Heaven's Feel is possibly, well, it's, it's regarded as one of the best stories in Fate, mostly because of how they make Sakura into, into a tragic character. And like Sakura's just, uh, such a well-known class character that they even have like her they have like a game a fate game focused around her called mm -hmm. fate extra ccc 
and CCC, uh, it's basically like there's a holy grail war, but it's happening in a computer called the moon cell. And uh, there are a lot of different sakuras who are like alter ego versions of her, and they all represent her uh, in a, uh, I guess, in a different way. So there's like uh, Mel Lilith, who is the uh, alter ego of. It's sexual. <laughs> Mel Lilith, who is the alter ego of, I guess, pleasure, and in the sense that, like, she wants to be happy and she wants to be uh, just like, she wants to make others happy. And, uh, and like, Mel Lilith is like bitter, she, she's very bitter and uh, rude and curt. And then there's also like King Protea, who's the alter ego of craving and like how, uh, how basically. The shadow is making Sakura crave all this power and like uh, bloodlust and stuff like that. So like they're all named after flowers, which is kind of cool. Uh, but CCC really goes in depth to what makes Sakura a tragic character. Uh, of course, it's like a different universe Sakura since the Grail Wars in a uh, computer. Yeah. But um, it really explores a lot about what makes her great. And uh, I don't know. I just keep gushing on why I like this character a lot. But I feel that they just wrote her in such a way that it's not like so tragic that all you can do is pity her. But it's not uh, it's not written so cheesy that you're just like, oh, I don't feel anything for her. Okay, so I guess to close close this out, like, uh, what would you rate this movie? And also, for someone who's an outsider like me, why would you? Uh, what would what would be your sales pitch to like get into the Fate series and like explore more in depth the different universes and all the different stories? All right, so um, I'd rate this movie, I'd give it like a 9.5 out of 10. Um, it was just like amazing overall, great soundtrack, amazing visuals, great characters, great story. Uh, they, they skimmed over a lot, uh, or not a lot, but like some small plot points that I wish they went over, specifically the Ilya scenes, because that becomes a lot more important in part three. No spoilers though. But, um, uh, I think that's a fair rating for this movie. And Fate in general, Fate just has a lot of stories. It's kind of hard to get into because like you don't know where to start. Uh, one of the most popular Fates right now is Fate Grand Order and it's a mobile game. And it basically uh, takes place, uh, it doesn't have like Shiro, Rin, or like all those other people. But um, you're basically, uh, the main character is a master at this place called Caldea, where they go back in time to sort of solve these discrepancies that have been caused by, uh, by just like things that are ruining that time. And um, there are a lot of references to the uh, original Fate series in that game, and there are a lot of servants from the original series in that game. Like you'll see, you'll see uh, Archer from uh, Heaven's Feel. You'll even see uh, Saber. Lancer, pretty much everyone. Um, and the story gets really good later on, but it takes some time to get up there. But if you want to start with Fate, I'd recommend watching uh, Unlimited Blade Works. It's the pretty much the beginning of it all. And um, it's the Rin route. And I feel like it's pretty substantial and it helps you get into the series. So Fate is appealing to me because of the amount of characters it has, the complexity of those characters, and how they work together to solve their problems. 
and it, it just feels a lot different than any like cheesy oh high schoolers doing their best to save the world or like solving all their problems and being happy but uh i just feel like everything's well written and it's definitely worth investing your time to all right uh i think that's everything um yeah. so thanks andres for yeah. joining thank you for um, having me this has been outside the studio episode one <laughs> <laughs>